we are. Hey, I'm Will, and this is Benj. We're both church planners trying to work out how to form churches in this post-pandemic world. I lead a church that's trying to grow big. And I lead a church that's trying to grow small. But we share an interest in the beautiful and diverse future of the church in Australia. What will it look like? How will it adapt and innovate and thrive? If you're asking these questions too, then join us as we host a range of conversations with diverse thinkers and practitioners around what comes next. Welcome to the Forming Church Podcast, brought to you by Gen 1K and our vision to see a thousand healthy churches in a generation. This episode is brought to you by Baptist Care, a leading non-profit Christian organization serving the aged and people living with disadvantage for over 75 years. Did you know that as well as providing residential aged care, Baptist Care's Hope Street sites create safe spaces for disadvantaged and distressed individuals facing issues such as domestic violence, homelessness, mental health, or addiction issues. If you want to make a difference in your community, then volunteering with Baptist Care is a great way to do that. You can join the team as a pastoral care volunteer or help serve at a Hope Street site or visit residents in aged care homes. On Forming Church, we're always talking about ways that church can connect with the neighbourhood. And volunteering with Baptist Care is a fantastic way to do that. To get involved or find out more, visit baptistcare.org.au. Forming Church listeners, how are you? Hey, welcome in uh, to our episode here. We are um, doing a little mini-series, wrapping up our season, um, and these little episodes have all been crowdsourced from our forming church Facebook group, our little community in there. Uh, well worth jumping in if you're not a part of that. Um, and today's episode is around collaborating with people that you have differences with. Mm, very interesting. Will, will a fight break out during this conversation? Probably not, but in many ways, this, <laughs> this episode is kind of like uh uh, it's very at the heart of the Forming Church podcast. Every week in the intro, we talk about being big and small, but also having a desire to, um, you know, we're both invested in the future of the church in Australia, the beautiful and diverse future of the church in Australia. So how do we actually do it? How do we collab while maintaining our distinct sense of, you know, identity that may be different from the person next to us? Before we jump into that topic, though, Benj, I do want to quickly give a shout out at the top of this episode because our last episode on deconstruction, which um, could have gone much longer, could have been a whole season, could have been a whole <laughs> podcast. We could have become deconstruction influencers like those that we spoke about. But in our one-hour sprawling conversation, there's one person in the comments in the Facebook group that we did not mention. And I just want to give a shout-out to you, Bradley Blacker, if you're listening. If you came back after that episode, if you weren't too burned by us name and everybody else except you. Your question was actually awesome. And so I want to read it here because it deserves it deserves a moment of spotlight. Bench, do you want to read it? Yeah, I would love to. I, I call Bradley the the BB. The BB. We go we go way back. I've never met him before, but it's just a nice um you know the BB. The yeah. BB gun, we call him. Do you reckon his middle name's Robert? Because then his name would be BRB. Oh could be. I, I think this actually links into 
what we're going to talk about today, actually. So it said, I'd like to hear your opinion on how a movement of healthy churches are able to ask dangerous, imaginative, imaginative, healthy, and um, possibly deconstructive questions as a community of churches. Um, and like, I, I think that is part of what we're going to talk about today around how do we collaborate and work together when we have disagreements and differences and things that we have different viewpoints on, we see differently. Mm. Look, we meant to do it. Obviously, we meant to carry across Bradley because this question is a perfect transition. I would like to say, as an appreciator of language, I really like the words he used, particularly dangerous, imaginative, and healthy as a little bundle. Because it's sort of like the dangerous takes us to some uncomfortable, kind of edgy, pushing the boundary questions. The imaginative is kind of solutions focused. How can we do this in a, in a positive, dreaming light and healthy? How do we do it in a way that respects other people? So I would say, Bradley, man, if we're doing those three things, maybe that's how we do it. If we just, if we just sprinkle those qualities in the mix, that alone might be quite helpful. Once again, the answer is in the question. Amen. All right, so let's let's get into some of these questions. Uh, we'll start with the disclaimer that we have our last couple of episodes. We're not experts. In case you don't know, we're just a couple of guys if, making if you a podcast. Worked that out already. <laughs> you should probably turn it off. <laughs> a quick, quick, very quick tangent. If you were an expert in one thing, Bench, what would it be? Like, what's your area that you have gone the most deep in terms of thinking, reading, etc.? Mm, it could possibly be fantasy football. I could become a fan, an NFL fantasy football analyst. Um, um, other than that, geez, I don't know. Um, probably it would probably be collaboration and difference if I was going to be honest. Excellent. You got a lot of lived experience in this area, I think. Maybe, yeah. Maybe a lot of lived experience of not doing it well. <laughs> That's the only way you learn how to do it well. Yeah. All right, so um, no, I I don't know. I don't know what I what I what I'd be an expert in. I don't think I could be an expert in anything. I'm a generalist. You're a generalist. What about you? What about you, William? Um, poetry. I mean, I feel like I could speak with a bit more authority if this was a a, a literary podcast. Mm. Um, mm. but you know, we 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 got our lived experience. I'm an expert in my lived experience as a you, as a you, wow. dear listener. And so own that. Don't be arrogant about it, but uh, it, it is worth, uh, you know, using it when you come to an issue like this. All right, Angus McGregor, we're going to kick off with some of your questions that you posted. So Angus has said, what does collaboration mean in conjunction with local churches, different denominations slash culture, uh, SRE slash chaplains, and non-Christian organizations slash groups to address areas of need. So this is not just church-to-church -church collaboration. This is how do we collaborate between churches, I guess, parachurch organizations, you know, maybe chaplains in the community or um, other, yeah, organizations that aren't faith-based. What are your initial thoughts around this, Bench? Oh, yeah, it's a good question. Um, I, I think we need to take each of those things has a different question in in a lot of ways like i think i think it's really important to work out how do we collaborate as churches um particularly churches within a tribe or a network or a denomination and then how, how do we collaborate with churches that are outside of our denomination 
and probably have some some greater theological difference than us and then how do we collaborate with other organizations or you know our neighbor our neighborhood businesses um and so i think they're they're all very different questions Mm. um do you have any thoughts around those categories yeah, I agree. I agree that they're, you know, if you try and do all at once and you're not doing any right now, that's probably going to be a bit ambitious. But I would say that you don't necessarily have to approach it in the particular order that you just outlined, because I mm. would sort of say that maybe it's best to go with where you already see um, the initial connections. So I would, I've got a fair bit of community connection. So I might go, how can my church partner with a, a you know, organization community that's not faith-based as our first point of experimenting with collaboration? And exactly like you're saying, there's going to be different nuances to each of these collaborative relationships. But as a first point, I would say, look for where you already have you know, good seed to start collaborating, whether it's with a church in your denomination or in a different one um, or somebody else or some other group in the community. Yeah. And I mean, I think it's worth just talking about like the value of collaboration is like the, the, the thing that we gain from collaboration is a more expansive, beautiful, um, bold vision of the future than just working with people that are like us. Um, uh, I've got this quote here from Larry Osborne, who says many of the most innovative things within one tribe or industry is simply nothing more than the application of common knowledge from another tribe or industry. And like, I love that idea that create creativity, like down to its essence is just connecting two things that hadn't been connected together before. Mm. Like that's, that's kind of innovation. And I think when we give ourselves the opportunity to be around different people and different industries and different ways of thinking, different churches, different theological approaches, different ecumenical approaches, different, um, ecclesiology around like what our churches look like or or how do we view the neighborhood i think like that's where the innovation and the creativity comes from like we can't just go and sit in our office and just innovate Mm. like i think it's it's the connection of deep wells of experience and knowledge and ideas that are just common to other people that unless we connect and collaborate around something those those two deep wells of of information and ideas um, won't produce like innovation. Mm. Um, and so I think it is actually an important thing, like for the, for the flourishing of humanity, if, if we, if we really are, um, you know, wanting to see the renewal of all things and following Jesus into the resurrection and the new, new heaven and new earth, where this is just like beautiful, expansive, flourishing view of humanity and our neighborhoods and our cities and community then like i think collaboration is is a must not just like mm. this is a this is a good thing or you know it feels nice or it looks good on paper or whatever yeah i love it and and what i'm hearing there is that difference is not actually um the obstacle to collaboration it is the ingredient in collaboration mm. that can lead to innovation it's totally. the same if we think organically, we can have a monocropped field, which is just trying to grow one thing and it's been stripped of all the goodness of the diversity and the nuance, or we can have a forest where mm. actually because the ecosystem has so much complexity, things live there that couldn't live in a monocropped mm. field. 
So I, I love that, that, that kind of like difference is not just a problem for us to overcome when it comes to collaboration. It's actually, if we can, if we can humbly approach our differences well, they're the spaces where the learning happens and where the new creative approaches will emerge. Yeah. So, I mean, so right from the beginning, I'm thinking like, yeah, what does it look like for big church and small church or complex church and simple church or whatever we want to call it to actually go, there is like an overlapping space between us where we could come up with creative expressions and ideas that we just can't do if we stick in our silo. Mm. Yeah, it's that's really good. I love that kind of that ecology, you know, ecosystem analogy with the different different crops because it's like I don't know much about farming, but Me from neither. my understanding, not, not an expert. From from my understanding, you know, when you when you change the the crops that are in that particular soil, what's left over from the previous crop actually gives and adds value to what's coming next. Um, whereas if you just roll the same thing over and over again, you're just depleting the soil mm. rather than, you know, changing things and, and, uh, you know, putting nutrients in. Um, I think that's, I think that's the way it works. Is that the way it works? Uh, probably. I mean, yeah. I do know that made me think weirdly, there is a beer called Innes and Guns, I think, or Innes and Gun. And it is a beer that's made in whiskey barrels. And it's Delicious. like, it tastes amazing. Because, you know, they innovated and they took, hey, we make whiskey, you make beer, let's put them together. It's, it's so tasty. That is good. That okay. is good stuff. So, let's did just you, quickly, oh, what were you going to say? Oh, I, I was just going to say, do you, um, you, you said you said that like your, you know, the place that you sort of first go to with this question is collaborating with community and different businesses and people and um what do you think we need as a church to approach that in, in a healthy way? Like how would you, you sort of naturally are good at this and kind of the worlds that you sit in, you know, lend it, lends itself to that. What advice would you give to someone who's a pastor sort of full time, or, you know, they spend a lot of their time within the church. Um, what, what kind of tips or hints would you give to people that are looking to collaborate with, with others in their neighborhood? I think one of the key things I'd say straight up is if you're, if you have a, an agenda or an end goal in mind and you are just using the other community player or organization individual um, as a pawn to get to your end game, it's not a good starting place. And I think we can sometimes do that. We want to work with that organization because we want to reach their group of people for our ends. Whereas if we can come to the conversation with that sort of curiosity, hey, we've noticed that you're doing this work in this space. We're doing this thing over here. Um, is there something new we could explore together? Um, I just think as much as we can have that posture, that's really helpful. Um, this is an example that, it's not, it's not an organisational example, but we had... Uh, I'm, I'm very connected with a lot of poets. And there's a poet who, you know, is an Aboriginal poet who's taught me a lot about, yeah, First Nations culture. And we've had a really, you know, mutual um, exchange in our relationship. And so we invited him to come and share at Meeting Ground. And it wasn't like 
it wasn't we didn't have to fit it into well this is what we want to get out of it from a christian theology perspective and it's okay if that's you know the conversation you want to have afterwards but it was just like would love to learn a bit more about your culture your worldview how you understand you know the big questions and it's just like we just had this really beautiful morning of sharing and and they like my mate rob who came was quite surprised because he was like no one's ever asked us to share in this space in this way um, but out of that, I think there's going to be a healthy ongoing relationship for a long time between not only our church and Rob, but, um, the, the work in the community that Rob does and the groups he's a part of. And it just came with a sense of, let's not try and force this into our end goal. Let's curiously explore something new together. So mm. yeah, that's yeah, just that's one good. example and you could apply that in different ways, but yeah, don't go in. Don't go in with the end in mind if you're trying to collaborate with somebody else in the community. Go in to discover yeah. it together. I think that's so helpful. Um, and I, I think, I reckon that's such an easy trap, you know, to fall into that we have this idea or this vision to do something. Now let's get other people involved. It kind of makes me think that like to be, to be humans, to be humankind, to be humanity, like we actually, you know, we can't hold all the pieces. Like we need one another. And, um, you know, on a, on a kind of communal structural neighborhood level, like no one has the answers, no one, no one person, no one organization has the answers to see, you know, the kingdom of God come here on earth as it is in heaven. Mm. No one church has the answers, but no, no one perspective, you know, like, and I think we need, we need that. And we need, um, different, different cultures and different viewpoints and different, uh, backgrounds and, and different ways of viewing the scriptures or, or what God's doing, you know, like, I think mm. that that's just so important and uh, things really easy to get threatened by that because I'm, I don't know, maybe it's something in our psychology that wants to have the answers or wants to have the control. I, I know that that could be a tendency in me. Um, but yeah, it just makes me sort of feel a little bit more open-handed about mm. the future and, and where God's leading us. Yeah, for sure. Mm. One, one quick, uh, alternative example I would offer is that, um, you know, we, I've got a connection with a charity on the coast that does work with kids in poverty and um, like local kids in poverty and they're very passionate about that. And they're just your classic um, small scale charity that always needs more resources. And we were able to very easily just go to them and say, what is a project we could help with? And I think that if you look at the people in your community that are doing good work that is under-resourced, and as a church community, just going and saying, what is a project we can help with? It'll be such a blessing to that mm -hmm. crew or that organization. And it's also a really wonderful way for your faith community to actually feel connected to neighborhood good that is not owned directly by you, but that you can just champion. Mm -hmm. And you guys have done that sort of thing with, you know, things like shoebox revolution. And yeah, it's, it's such a great feeling when you don't have to reinvent the thing, but you can just go and go, we've got people that have some time, have some energy, have some money. What can we do? Give us a project. Yeah, yeah totally. Totally. I, I know just recently we sort of were able to just put a bunch of money in the account of, you know, a local organization here without them knowing it was coming necessarily. Um, and just what that does, like the, the, the kind of, um, 
you know, there's relationship there, but there are no strings attached, you know, mm. like there's no like obligation around what, what the end goal of that thing becomes. And I think that's a beautiful way. Like it's just the, I think people sense when there's an agenda. Um, and I reckon that's just, that's, that's really important. I think that's such a helpful point, Will, around the end goal and, and making sure that we're not the, the sole proprietor of kind of our end goal vision, but mm. we're allowing others to speak in that because in, in, in community is, is where we sense God, right? That's a very, um, you know, our drive, this very Baptistic thing that like no one person knows the will of God, like that we actually discern that together as community. Mm. Um, I've been, I've been thinking about a few, um, you know, when we're going to do this episode, a few, few passages of scripture that just came to my mind because we had just been working through Luke chapter nine as a church. Um, and it makes me think about like, how do we approach people that are different to us? Um, and there's one story at the end of Luke chapter nine, where the disciples come to Jesus and they're like, this dude, like, who's not part of us is being casting out demons in your name. Like we tried to stop him. Like, what do we do? Like, we don't know. He's, he's, he's kind of rogue. And Jesus says, you know, whoever is not against us is for us. And I love that posture of saying, like assuming that people are with you. And I think, you know, the, the tendency is to assume that people are not with us mm. um, because they're not kind of, you know, actively trying to join what we're doing or whatever it is. Mm. Um, but just that beautiful assumption that like people are with us. And particularly when it comes to churches and other denominations, I think we can get a little bit adversarial around a bit, a bit territorial, um, but just to assume the best, like to assume that people are, are, are with us. Um, and then at the start of that um, chapter, it's, it's the story where Jesus sends out the disciples to go um, and kind of get towns ready for him coming. And they say, if, he says, if, if they don't welcome you, just wipe the dust off your feet and, and move on. And I think that's another important kind of counterpoint to that is that like, don't force a relationship that people don't want. And I think that's like, that's actually really freeing not only as a person, but as a leader of an organization is that like, if people don't want to work with you, like it's fine. Just mm. wipe, wipe the dust off your feet. Like, and to sometimes we want to like hold on to that dust and like remind ourselves that like, ah, they didn't want to work with me. Mm. And again, going to the assumption that, oh, they're against us. Um, and then, and then the third little story that, that sort of just came to mind was a prayer in, in John 17, where, where Jesus like prayer for his church is is unity like that's the thing like he's coming up to his death and he's like he's this like you can just sense this ache is like prayer that the church would be united and you know when you look across you know even in our region or you look anywhere you see all these different factions of church and i wonder how much we've missed missed that prayer and it doesn't mean that we have to be the same but like actually there is there is so so on one hand there's kind of the assumption that people are for us if people don't want to work with us wipe the dust off your feet that's fine but in the middle there is like this like desire and yearning and prayer for unity particularly with believers like something that has to be like front and center and and worked towards um and yeah. so yeah i just i just think that there's 
some some guiding kind of attentions from Jesus like that mm. that are that are just really helpful in this space. Yeah, that's good stuff. I mean, first of all, it makes me think Jesus wouldn't have prayed that prayer if he didn't know that it was going to be something that we would naturally struggle with. Um, yeah. It's it's almost like we need to return to that prayer because we need to strive for it. Um, it doesn't necessarily come easily, but it is it is the good the good and wonderful way that we ought to you know seek. Um, the other thing that made me think some of what you were just sharing is that in some ways it's actually maybe easier to collaborate with a community organization because we just know that we're different. Mm-hmm. Whereas with churches, we kind of have this sense of we, we assume that we should all believe X thing or approach this in, you know, this way. Um, and so that's where we can actually like without assuming difference, we we offend each other because we kind of expect well church should look like this or Christians should look like this. Mm. So it kind of makes me think that maybe it's actually more challenging to collaborate either interdenominationally or um, across churches because that's where we seem to have more of a competitive nature with each other or more of a judgmental nature towards each other, which it goes full circle because that infighting is what ruins our reputation with non-church groups in the neighborhood. So how do we get around this, Bench? What do you reckon, you know, in terms of that beautiful prayer for unity, what are some things that you think might help us to actually live that out in a collaborative way between churches that are different? Yeah. Well, I I mean, for me, um, it's been really helpful I mean, just kingdom theology is really helpful that like a God is at work in our neighborhoods. And I've I've really tried hard to see other churches, particularly in my neighborhood, as as co-pastors of the neighborhood Um, that like we we get to do this together. And there is there is more people and more need and more um, uh, need for spiritual renewal than could ever be fulfilled by one church or one expression of church. And so I think that that's really, that's really helpful. Um, I think when we do get competitive, um, it's like, it's, it's, it just, it just like drains your soul. Um, and I think it's, that's a, that's an easy place to get into. Like if there's a new church plant that comes in town or, you know, someone from your church goes to another church or whatever it is. Um, but if we start to see kind of the lens through, kingdom that like we're we're actually working on through this together that we're co-pastoring our neighborhoods and our regions um yeah that that, that's been helpful for me what about for you yeah that that makes me think about how um when you know this is a crude example but when you've got a maccas on one corner and a kfc opens across the road they actually both do better um the more hipster example would be you know, an area becomes a destination area when there's multiple kind of specialty coffee roasters and, and places that, and, and the difference, you've got a coffee roaster and you've got a brewery and you've got a cool little boutique shore, uh, store. Um, and so I love the idea that churches, rather than seeing each other as competitors, we're co-builders in creating kind of precincts and destination spaces mm. and places that are about renewal. And um, I've, I, you know, really just, I've seen that in you. I've seen that in your approach. I affirm that and, and and love that about how you've kind of collaborated with other 
churches as well as organizations in Long Jetty. Um, yeah. That's a beautiful image. I like it. Yeah. Make, making precincts. Totally. Yeah. That's and, cool. And you, like, you can choose to see it through a fear based lens about losing something or you can see it through an opportunity lens about gaining yeah something new in the neighborhood this episode is sponsored by baptist financial services invest with purpose find out more at bfs.org.au so how how then how then do you work with someone or an organization and this is kind of Simon Nixon's question here. Um, you know, when you know you have something that you like theologically disagree with, like mm-hmm. how, how should we approach that? Yeah. I, I think this is, this is the big question. And I think I was uh, thinking about it before. Um, we shouldn't confuse uh, being pro collaboration with being kind of blindly collaborative and just going in, to everything without asking questions. And I kind of think about it, you know, we could think about it a little bit like our relationships with other people. Um, you know, we do need to have a certain level of chemistry to, to be in a relationship with someone or um, to have a, a good working, even if we're just thinking about a working relationship, take faith out of it. You might both be highly talented, um, but if there's not like that sort of sense of a shared um, yeah, spark or whatever, um, it's going to be difficult. And I think that in some ways, you know, theology is a little bit different to that, but I do think that if you, if you just don't gel and you don't mesh and your theology is too different, um, again, I would not encourage you to like just push that in a way that's going to lead to greater harm potentially. I would say, um, you can still respect someone who's got, you know, that those differences. But this is kind of, I guess this is a wisdom question and a, and a personal conviction question around what do you hold as most important? And I'll just say outright, like I don't, there are churches that I, I don't disrespect that they exist. I'm not trying to troll them, but I also know that it would not be fruitful for us to collaborate. Now, the question is, how can I, still respect them and still want their best while acknowledging that some differences are actually, if we try and collaborate, we're actually going to be finding ourselves going in opposite directions almost. I don't know. This is, this is difficult stuff. This is tangled stuff. There's no like way I can simply smooth this one out. But um, what, it, what are your thoughts around where, how you figure out where is the line between you, you kind of can collaborate with a certain level of tolerance for difference versus, you know, where it's just incompatible. Yeah. Well, I think, I think you're right. I think this is the issue, like particularly between churches. How do we, how do we work together when there is, you know, real theological difference? Um, I, I guess for me, like my mind goes is how, how deep is the relationship meant to go? Like, are you, are you going to marry this? Like, is it, 
are you going to be in a network together and work closely together? Are you going to plant churches together? Mm. Or, you know, are you going to do an event together or are you just going to pray for one another or, you know, mm. champion one another or send people to their church that, you know, they're going to be better suited there or whatever it is, or talk good about them behind their back, you know? Mm. Um, and so I think there is like a, there's, a, there's an array, like there's an array of depth. That's in, helpful. In how the, how, how much you're going to collaborate with them. And I think even if there is vast theological difference, like what ways can you collaborate in a way that is fruitful through the kingdom? Um, it kind of makes me think, I, I read this, um, uh, the Eugene Peterson um, biography just recently, a couple of months ago. Um, it's called A Burning in My Bones. Um, very good, highly recommend. And there's just just interesting part where um, towards the end of the book, um, it talks about kind of Eugene's changing views on, on sexuality um, and teach particularly around gay marriage and um, stuff like that. Um, and it was just really interesting because he, he, he sort of shifted to a more kind of progressive view. Um, but then he said, I, I chose not to align myself with that theology because of how I, because of how he took that prayer in John 17. And so he chose to put, put his views of that aside because he knew that wasn't the view of his denomination um, to align himself with, with where he felt like he was called to be. And it doesn't really matter where you fall on, on that whole conversation. It's not, I'm not trying to make it about that conversation, but it was just a really thought provoking thing for me um, and a really challenging thing for me with you know, I wonder if there's things that I actually need to put aside in order to collaborate with, with people. Um, and I'm, I'm not talking necessarily about that issue, but like, you know, like I wonder if there's things that I do have to give up in order to submit to the greater thing, or is there a, you know, a prophetic thing within me that needs to change this or needs to champion this? Uh, I think that's a really, really tough thing where you need the spirit of God and you need wisdom and you need godly counsel. Um, and so that's like where, you know, we can't do things in isolation as well. Um, but yeah, I, I just think it's, I think it's really hard. I think it, I think it comes down to orthodoxy and, and kind of what's really at the center of your faith. Like what are the hills that you're willing to die on? And the trouble becomes, you know, working with other churches is that we all disagree around what's in the center of that, like orthodoxy target. Mm. Um, and, you know, what's a secondary issue for me might be a, you know, third, fourth, fifth issue for someone else, or it might be a primary thing. Uh, so I think that that's where it becomes really messy. Well, you because- could say that there's like, so everybody makes compromises. I just think, you know, everybody makes trade-offs. Yeah. And in some ways, the more theological hills you're willing to die on, you are going to be trading off a certain level of collaboration. That's just a fact. Because yes. if, if you think this is, I cannot work with someone if we disagree about this, 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 then you have closed the door to collaboration. The trade-off in the other direction might be, I've got a very, very small list of what I would consider to be essentials. So I'm trading off on a certain level of maybe security or control or um you know there is there is some scaffolding around uh, uh, like you can build a strong tribe when you've got very very clear boundaries yes. um 
And so in some ways, the trade-off the other way might be higher collaboration, but you have to tolerate a little bit more messiness, probably a few more, maybe some more conflict within, um, whereas the other option, you might be creating conflict against those that are without or outside. Um, but I think that w- what you said before about, you know, the context of the relationship is so helpful because I'm thinking right now, like there are churches I wouldn't collaborate with because we have a disagreement around, you know, whether they would allow women to lead or preach or things like that. I'm not going to compromise where I am on that. At the same time, if that church is, you know, like currently responding to issues around the world, like what we've seen in Afghanistan recently, or if they're working against kids' poverty or things like that, man, there's so many things I would collaborate with them on because we can come together around that cause, which is obviously so worthy and so kingdom focused and so i think that the, the yeah, you're not, you're not going to hold a women's conference with them yes the nature yeah. of what you're collaborating on totally is super important now people have obviously people have different views and some people think you should just cancel them if you you know if you disagree with them you shouldn't do anything with them i don't i don't think it's more complicated than that i think it's obviously more complicated and nuanced than that but i also think like um you know it's kind of like date you you mentioned the marriage thing before it's like date date before marriage so even if you're not willing to do some big large-scale collaborative project together are you willing to have a coffee together and are you willing to yeah like you said you know pray pray for each other or or align yourselves in some sort of large generic thing and it's kind of like this we've talked about it in other episodes too but if we're going to you know, you don't jump into a network with people and our, our little network of churches has been like the key thing at the center is relationship. Yeah, we can point to a set of values or a document or something like that, but it's ultimately out of a long-term relationship that we've gotten to the networky, you know, planting churches together space. So same thing, start small and, yeah. and with all your collaboration, again, you know, stop with your end goal and just start exploring curiously and relationally and do like little steps at a time. And then you can also kind of make a safe exit early without too much harm if you haven't tied yourself in some really significant way together without kind of doing your, you know, relational homework, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, a lot of people that I respect that are older and, you know, um, you know, continuing to grow in their depth of relationship with Jesus and leadership. I find that more and more those people, like the center of their orthodoxy is getting smaller. Like the things that they're willing to die on the hill for Mm. is becoming um, more focused. Um, And I think, I think like, that's what I aspire for myself that like I, those, those things in the center of my faith would become stronger and, and more, um, more resilient, but, but smaller and, and, and more focused. Mm. And I think it's hard. I, th- I think really where it's hard and I, you know, reflecting on my own life is that we can have kind of pet theologies in that kind of secondary level around like all sorts of stuff, um, you know, creation or um, ecclesiology or sexuality or um, like biblical hermeneutic or, you know, women in leadership. And all of that stuff like is actually really important to work through as a follower of Jesus and as, as, as your church. Um, but I think when we, we become really you know, passionate about one thing, that thing creeps into the middle. Um, and I notice that in my own life that I can get really passionate about certain things, 
that I make them central things. And I think that's where they're like, we want to cancel another church or we want to never, you know, we want to speak bad about them and make sure no one goes to that church because it's harmful and abusive because it's their, their theology in that area is different to my theology. Um, and so I think, yeah, I, there's, there's this quote from Mark Andreessen, who is a, um, you know, one of the best, um, most successful uh, kind of tech investors, venture capitalists. Uh, he says, have strong views loosely held. Um, and I just, I really like that statement because it's like, we, we actually need to have well-formed, well-thought-out views. And particularly in our culture in Australia, <clears throat> that is increasingly um, hostile towards Christianity and church. Like we actually need to think through these things in a really, really good, healthy way and, and think about how we engage culture in that, in that area. And so I think we need to be well-read. We need to be well-formed. Um, but I like there's a there's a beauty in kind of being open-handed about those things mm. and knowing that like you know if if I spend my whole life getting all my theology sorted like the chances of me nailing 100% of those things by the end of my life is very slim like if if I can do that I need to be some sort of I need to be on some sort of like world stage pedestal right yeah. um it, I just don't don't think it's possible for anyone to have a, a a full view of God and the Bible and history and, and culture and, and science and the latest, you know, and how all those things interact and work together. Like it's just impossible. Yeah. Um, and so there needs to be an open-handedness and a humility about all the things we hold, but it's, but it's the process of like whittling down. What are those things like right in the center of, of that for me? Mm. Um, yeah. Yeah. My, my only like little bit of, nuance I would add to that is that um, maybe something is kind of what we would call a secondary issue, but it is your primary calling. So for example, if you're someone who really senses that you are called, and I'm I'm a man, so I I totally own that, but I I have passionate views about gender and, and, you know, um, the inequalities and injustices around that. And my thoughts around how a lot of our current systems are bad for men as, as they are for women. Um, but if you really sense a call to, you know, create more opportunity um, for women in leadership in the church, then maybe that secondary issue is going to be a primary calling, which is going to create a different criteria for who you collaborate with. Yeah. Um, and again, you might say that a church has a different view on that issue. You're not going to collaborate with them, but you you still believe that they're loved by Jesus and they love Jesus and they're doing their best and they're in a different place and that's okay. Um the more generous we can be in our posture towards others. And often I think that, you know, when I realize that I am a set of internal contradictions, as we all are, if I can still love myself, then that's the place where I can begin to love someone else. Whereas if I'm still kind of ashamed of my internal contradictions, whether or not I'm conscious of it, then I'm going to just continue to shame others who are different. So it's a reconciling with the fact that we are kind of unreconciled in process beings. I thought about this over, you know, recent weeks, thinking about how a lot of people that I, you know, love, we we look back really harshly at times on our earlier versions of theology. And I look at my like kids now, and I was thinking like my five year old, I don't want him to look back at himself as a five year old or a ten year old or a fifteen year old and feel ashamed of who he was. I want him to see it as a part of his story. 
and to love that version of himself growing up as well. Now, we don't have to think that people need to arrive where we do, but to have that same posture towards them. They're at a different place. They're on a journey. I'm going to love them. Um, Sometimes love might still look like a confronting situation or conversation, but ultimately it's a posture that we're for the best, like we want the best for other people. Um, Before I finish this... That makes me think that like back to what you were saying before around the nature of what you're collaborating on. Like if your calling is around, you know, gender equality or, um, you know, social justice, like asylum seekers, and that's the majority of your work and the projects you're going to do, of course, you're not going to collaborate with someone who like is, um, (laughs) you know, anti-asylum seekers coming to our country, you know, like, Mm. so the nature of your work is going to determine how deep that collaboration can be. Um, and so it's that spectrum again. And so Mm. I think that that, that's a helpful thing is like, you know, what, what's my calling? Who am I? What am I actually, what's the nature of my work and the, and the projects we're going to do? Um, I think that can determine who you're going to collaborate with as well. Yeah, for sure. My favorite word for, for what you were talking about before as well. And a lot of what we're talking about is this philosophical term, epistemic humility epistemologies around what we know and our, our sort of theories of knowledge. And, and if we combine that with humility, it's just about like be humble about what you think that you know that you know, a.k.a. don't be a jerk about what you believe. And I think so much of this conversation, like that's pretty much the summary is like, yeah, believe what you believe, believe it passionately, but don't be a jerk about it. You might be right, but if you, you know, if we have a heart for unity and we have a heart for collaboration, we're going we're gonna to be... Um, centered and grounded and secure in our sense of self while also being open, humble and generous in our posture yeah. towards others. Yeah. Yeah, and and realizing I'm on a journey and so is my neighbor. Yeah. I've got a I've got a trio of quotes here just to just to um to bring to bring that idea home. Um Benjamin D Summer says there's nothing more dangerous than someone who is 100% sure about God's will. <laughs> I just think that's that's brilliant. Like when we think that we own God's will, that we're a hundred percent sure of what God's doing in the world, um, that's a pretty dangerous, you know, cult-like place to be. Epistemic um, arrogance. Yes, Neil Hornsby says, "Be most skeptical of the people that are most certain." And then, really, to bring it home, this is my favorite quote of the whole episode. I would I would assume Obi Wan Kenobi says to Anakin, I believe. Only a Sith deals in absolutes. And I <laughs> thank you, Obi Wan. Yeah, thank you, thank you, oh wise Jedi. Um, but that idea that like actually, actually being really certain about something is is can be kind of dangerous. You know that like that I'm never going to change my view on this. I'm never going to um, grow. You know, there's no new information that could come in that could change what I think about this. Um, and of course, you know, at the center of our orthodoxy, we need to hold those things tied and the resurrection of Jesus and the deity of Jesus and the Trinity, you know, like those things are important, but we need to like continually be open to, um, I I read a quote the other day that like the best way to see an idea is to see it challenged. And like, if, if we really believe those things are truth, then it's actually not, we shouldn't be scared to see those things challenged. Like, Mm. With that, that's actually the best way to see those those thoughts and ideas in action mm-hmm. um and so it's like it's that open-handedness that that the kind of the um what did you call it Epistem- e- epistemic humility epistemic humility um yeah it's good 
Yeah. And I mean, you know, if we're just going to land on something that I think we can all agree is absolutely at the center of orthodoxy, it's love God and love your neighbor. Hmm. Like that's the center. So let's, let's leave it with that. Thank you, Jesus. Appreciate that. And, uh, May you, wherever you are, find people different to you, learn to love them though it's difficult, and find the amazing things that come out of having a collaborative posture of curiosity. Boom shakalaka.